Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you have been around Wildwood this spring, you know that we have been walking through the life of Christ in a series that we have called Passion Road, meeting Jesus on the way to the cross. We began it back in February, and we've looked at a number of things about what it looks like for us to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and and to meet Him and to follow Him. We've looked at His parables. We've looked at His power. We've looked at His purpose, why He came. We've looked at perspective on His life from the rest of the New Testament, and we've looked at His passion, the events leading up to His crucifixion and ultimately to His resurrection that we looked at last Sunday on Easter. Uh, Today will be the final message in this series as we'll be wrapping up by looking at kind of a postscript to this. And and really, we're going to be looking at what does Jesus want us to do now? If we have come into a relationship with Him, we have met Jesus on the way to the cross, how do we respond now? How do we now live? We're going to be looking at that. And specifically, um, you think about that in in Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, He was commissioning His followers to a certain task, and we're going to be looking at that today and some perspective uh, from God's Word, dialing back to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. But before we open up God's Word and look at that together, I want to pray. So would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. I thank you for your, your presence here. We can gather to worship you. I thank you that you have preserved your Word for us so that when we open up Mark chapter 6 today, Uh, We are looking at your words for us. So thankful for that, Father. I'm also thankful that you have have sent your spirit into the hearts and lives of all who have trusted in Christ, that from the inside out, you have a a, a force within us to help us to make sense of your word, to guide us into all truth, and we thank you for that. But Father, we we, we thank you also that your spirit is, is present in this room, even around those who are still seeking, who are still trying to understand who Jesus is, and thankful that your Spirit can can draw their hearts to this truth today and help them to understand it. And so, Father, I pray ultimately that your Spirit would be our teacher today through your Word. And, Father, that you would just use me to that end. And I thank you, and I lift up these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last night was a fun night at the Robinson house, and uh, my wife had some plans. She was out. That's not what made it fun. But uh, my son, my eight-year-old son, Josh, was at home with me, and whenever it's just dad and son time, I typically will ask him what he wants to do. And in this time, in this season, when I ask Josh what he wants to do, what he wants to do is he wants to play video games. That's what he wants to do. And his video game of choice right now is a game called NBA 2K15. And so I've heard that a thousand times. Hey, Dad, you want to play a little NBA 2K15? I've heard it a thousand times. And last night was one of the times that I heard the request to play this game. Now, I know you might be sitting there and you go, we don't allow video games at our house. Um, Well, we we don't allow them at our house either unless they're educational. And NBA 2K15 is an educational game. And and if, if if you're wondering, you know, how I can say that, how this video game could be educational. You just need to know that there are historic teams in this game, uh, including the 1996-97 Utah Jazz 
that I played last night against Josh's Oklahoma City Thunder. And it was educational because I got to let him know who John Stockton was. Uh, you know, I, I grew up 5'10", white guy playing basketball in the, in, in the 1980s and 90s. John Stockton is my hero, okay? The short shorts, the whole deal, I got to show him who it was. And I'm like, Josh, that is John Stockton right there, the greatest assist man in the history of the NBA. And Josh goes, oh, I know who that is. He sells things on the State Farm commercial. And, and I'm like, oh, no, you know, he's so much more than that. I mean, someday somebody is going to look at you and say that Peyton Manning is just the pitch guy for nationwide insurance. Um, and that's what happened to me last night with, with my son. But, uh, you know, so as we're, as we're playing this game and as I'm educating him about the greatness of John Stockton and Carl Malone and uh, the likes, um, he decides that he wants to have a little theme music to go along with the game. And so he puts on the song Thunderstruck. And, uh, you know, that's a song relevant to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That was the team that he was playing. And so out comes uh, Thunderstruck is playing on the radio, and uh, Josh is, is kind of singing along. And, and that, he looks over at me, and he says to me, hey, Dad, um, that guy who is singing, he, he sounds like you. Now, here's what you got to know. The lead singer for ACDC who sings this song um, is not known for his melodic voice, okay? He's kind of a screamer. As a matter of fact, if you Wikipedia, Brian Johnson, the lead singer of ACDC, that's what it says. He screams. That's what it says about his vocal qualities. You know, when your son tells you that you sound like someone singing, you hope that it's Josh Groban. Instead, I got Brian Johnson. And so I'm, I'm disappointed as I hear that, that I sound like this guy. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, process that. But then I start thinking, you know what, that's, that's not all that bad. I mean, I, I realize that I'm not a great singer. That's why the farthings are the only people that will sit near me on Sundays. Um, but, but I'm okay with that. You know, I don't sing really for anybody else. And, and then he goes, no, no, I don't mean his singing. I mean when he talks. You talk like that. And I'm like, oh, no. You mean I scream when I talk? You know, it was, it was very, very disappointing for me. And now the, the crisis goes merely from affecting my pride to affecting my vocation. Because I talk partly for a living, and I, apparently I scream when I talk, and I sound like Brian Johnson from ACDC. And just a whole issue was going on there. You know, what you would want to hear in that situation if you're me is, you know what, Dad, you sound a lot like Morgan Freeman. That would have been awesome. Uh, instead, no, no, you sound like Brian Johnson from ACDC. So anyway, I'm struggling through this experience last night. I'm struggling through these comparisons that uh, my son made for me. And I remember thinking in that moment, uh, true story, I, I wish I could just get a, a voice transplant, you know, at least just for, for one day or for one hour. You know, wouldn't it be great to be able to sing like Josh Groban at least at least one time. You know, just Sunday morning I walk in and walk up here and grab the mic and I just, just sing some beautiful song with the band. And you go, I didn't know he could sing like that. I can't sing like that. But if what if I had Josh Groban's voice just one one morning? Wouldn't that be great? And if I was to, to speak, what, what happens if I just talked like Morgan Freeman just one time? You probably would really listen. There would be people to be lining up to give their lives to Christ if I could just talk like Morgan Freeman one time, right? I mean, this is the way that we think. Sometimes. And you know, it's kind of funny to think like that. It's kind of funny to have those kinds of private conversations inside your own mind while your son is beating you at a video game. Um, but, you know, there's something a little more serious involved here. And that is when we think about what God has called us to do uh, in our lives and in our, our ministry, He's called us to do things that, that go beyond our abilities. 
He's called us to, in, in the language of my analogy, he's called us to sing the national anthem, even though we have a voice that screams. He's called us to do things that go beyond our abilities. He's called us to share Christ with the lost world. He's called us to encourage the discouraged. He's called us to care for those who are in great need. Uh, He's called us to do things that just go beyond our abilities. And we find ourselves desiring a transplant. We find ourselves needing an intervention for us to do the things that He's called us to. And the amazing thing that we see in the New Testament and the amazing thing that we see lived out in the history of the church is that what God has done is that He wants to work through us through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, he wants to give us a a Jesus transplant as we serve him. He wants to work through us, and that is necessary if we're to actually do the things that he's called us to do. You know, last week we, in this Passion Road series, we, we looked at the events around the resurrection of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene came to Jesus, and she wanted to to hang on to him. If you remember in the story in that moment, she wanted to hang on to him. But Jesus said, don't cling to me. Instead, go. I have a job for you to do. Go tell people what you have heard. When Jesus met with Peter, he said, Peter, what I want you to do is I want you to go and to feed my sheep. At the moment of his ascension, he gathered around his followers on a hillside, and he said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus did in those events after his resurrection was he challenged his followers to take his ministry and to expand it, to take it around the world, to make followers of him. And that was a task that was impossible for the disciples to do on their own. But Forty days after Jesus' ascension, the, the Spirit comes and empowers the disciples so that they would be able to do the work that God had called them to do. He gave them a, a transplant of sorts to empower them to ministry. And here's the thing. Jesus desires not just to use some people who lived a long time ago, but Jesus desires to use you and me as well. The Son of God has ministry He wants to continue in this time, in this age, in this season, and He invites us to be a part of it. Now, when you hear that, you probably at some level are saying, well, that's all well and good, but you must be talking not to me, but to the person sitting next to me or the person sitting in front of me or the person who's sitting catty corner for me. You're certainly not talking to me. Certainly, God doesn't really want to use me to do some big things because it seems like the big things God would want to do through me are things that are beyond my abilities. But here's the great news. Jesus wants to do through you even more than you think. He wants to give you a transplant of righteousness and of ability and aptitude for ministry. He wants to work through you what would be impossible otherwise. And Jesus taught this to his disciples uh, in the midst of his life and ministry. So long before his crucifixion, long before his resurrection, Jesus taught his disciples what it was like for him to do through them what they were, what would be impossible for them to do on their own. And Maybe the classic illustration of this is in Mark chapter 6, 
verses 30 to 44, and a miracle that Jesus worked through the disciples that we know of as the feeding of the 5,000. And this morning, what I want us to do with the balance of our time is I want us to look at this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, because I think it taught the disciples how Jesus could work through them, and I think it teaches us how Jesus desires to work through us today as well. So we're going to read these verses, and then we're going to back up and see three things through them. But first, let's read them. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. Now, that phrase is a great opening line, but it requires some explanation for us. See, in the early parts of chapter 6, Jesus sent the disciples out in groups to minister. He said, I want to give you guys some firsthand experience of of going out into the surrounding countryside and telling people uh, what you have have seen and heard through me. And so the disciples go out on their first mission trip, and they, they have some success. Some people decide to follow Christ based on what they said and what they did. And the disciples come back to Jesus in Mark chapter 6 and verse 30, and they, they want to catch up. They want to tell them what they saw. They want to celebrate the ministry that had been done. And so Jesus says to them, I want you to come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. In other words, I know you're fired up. I know you had a great trip, but let's, let's go debrief in a, in a spot that's a little more private. I want you to get some rest. It says, because many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. In other words, people were crowding around them. They had to find a remote spot just to grab a bite to eat. Verse 32, and so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, and Now many saw them going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. In other words, there was no desolate place for Jesus because people were in hot pursuit. Verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, but he, he answered them and said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Now, in this story, we're going to see three things that help us understand how Jesus wants to work through us. The first thing we see is invited involvement. Invited involvement. Now, we we see that in that Jesus wanted to work through the disciples His ministry. 
And that was the case even while he resided on the earth. You know, it's interesting that in the early parts of Mark 6, Jesus sends the disciples out to go and to tell others about Jesus. Now, why would he do that? He was already in that region. They could have just gone and gathered a crowd and passed out invitations and invited people to come back to where Jesus was. Jesus could have done all of the ministry himself, and yet what we see in Mark 6 was that he invited their involvement in what he was doing. And that shows a pattern. But what, when, we, when we get down to this event of Jesus feeding the 5,000, he invites the disciples to be involved. He says, why don't you give them something to eat? Now, again, I think this is significant. It shows Jesus' desire to include the disciples in what he was doing. Because could Jesus have satisfied the hunger of the crowd without the disciples? Absolutely. He was the Son of God. He could walk on water. He could calm a storm. Certainly, he could satisfy the hunger of a crowd. As a matter of fact, if Jesus had so desired, he could have just snapped his fingers and everybody wouldn't have been hungry anymore. He was that powerful. Even beyond that, Jesus could have just kept preaching. I mean, he's the Son of God. He was perfect in his presentation. People were crowding around him in the, in the thousands just to, to hear him talk. And there was the, always the hope that he might do a miracle to, to them or to someone that they loved. People were gathering around him. Jesus could have just kept talking and they might have forgotten that they were hungry. It would have been possible for Jesus to handle this himself. It was also possible for Jesus just to reach into his pocket and, and, and pull out a sandwich that he brought and, and bless that sandwich himself and, and throw it into the sky and have it scatter and everybody would have enough to eat. I mean, he was the son of God. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. And yet in, in this story, what does he do? He invites the disciples to be a part of the process. He says to them, I want you to give them something I think that's really critical to see the heart of Jesus to want to invite and include the disciples in his work. Even beyond that, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. And we see that, and at one level it makes some sense to us, but know this, God could get his message out in other ways. If God wanted to just snap his fingers and suddenly there was a message that would, was written in the, the medium of every culture and every language that they would just read it and see it and understand. If he wanted to do it that way, he could do it that way. And yet, what does he do? He decides to involve us. He invites our involvement in the process. At one level, that's very messy. At another level, it's very beautiful. It shows his desire to work with us and through us and in us. We see this pattern in Jesus' ministry of inviting involvement in what he is doing. When we see that pattern unfold in the life of the New Testament, in the lives of the disciples, we see a pattern that holds true for us today as well. This is the God who never changes, and the God who never changes wants to invite you and me to join him in what he is doing. You know, why is it that, that, that churches have a lot of activities? Just think about that. I mean, Wildwood is a place that has a lot of activities. Have you, have you picked up your bulletin today? There's like 18 handouts inside there, okay? There's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of opportunities. Uh, there's one of the things that fell out of your bulletin probably is a little tab like this that has all these different ministries, children's ministry, college ministry, student ministry, home community groups, welcome teams, missions, 
uh, AV teams, all kinds of different opportunities to serve. Why is it that Christians do all of these things? Well, here's why. I mean, partly we have a lot going on, but part of it is the reason why we have these things going on, and the reason why there's invitations to get involved is because Jesus wants to use you and me in what he's doing in our city. Ever thought about that? Jesus wants to use you and me in what he is doing. Your in, involvement and, in, and inclusion within a group like Wildwood Community Church is, is not just so that you can consume, but it's because there's something God wants to do in and through you in the lives of others. God has set up some opportunities. And here's the thing, it's not just here. It's not just within our building. There's a number of opportunities in our building and other opportunities to serve here. There's also so many opportunities that God has to work through you in your context, kind of your native context, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family. See, God in His his plan and His providence wants to use you and me in what He is doing. And specifically, He wants to work through us to take the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody that we come into contact with, to compassionately care for those in need and to point them You have been invited to be involved in what God is doing. Jesus reminded us all of that through the feeding of the 5,000. First thing that we see. But the second thing that we see is this, paltry provision. Paltry provision. Now, the disciples were invited to feed this crowd. By Jesus. Now, at one level, I mean, it works really nicely in the first point. Isn't it nice that Jesus wanted to invite and include them? I mean, that's, that's wonderful. But think about this if you were the disciples in that setting. That was quite the difficult task for Jesus to say, why don't you give them something to eat? The passage tells us that there were 5,000 men. Biblical scholars have, have looked at that and tried to ascertain how many people might have been present, including women and children, and the best guess is somewhere between ten and 20,000 people. Ten and 20,000 people are scattered there, and Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Now, when the disciples get this request from Jesus, they immediately check their resources, and they realize they don't have enough. First thing they do is they, they check to see how much money they have. And they don't have that much money. I mean, it would, it would take months and months of wages in order to provide one meal so that everybody would be able to have an appetizer, much less fully satisfy their hunger. Uh, it seemed totally unrealistic. Their, the petty cash had been blown through. They, they had no expense account that they could tap into. They, they looked at this and they said, we don't have the money, Jesus, to be able to provide a meal for this many and then they, they go beyond that, and they, Jesus says, well, well, look and see what, what food you have. I, I didn't say it had to come from your money. Look at what food you have. And they said, well, here's the deal. We've got a couple of fish, some, some sardines, some dried fish, and, and we have five little individual loaves of bread. That wasn't even enough to feed Peter. I'm guessing he was a big eater. Um, and, and yet that was supposed to somehow feed ten to 20,000 people. Have you ever been in that situation where you realize that your resources just aren't enough or you don't even know how to go about uh, preparing a meal for that many? You know, there's, there's three in our family, my wife, myself, and, and our son, and sometimes if we have a, a party, a lot of people, we have no idea how much food to prepare. Um, 
Maybe you come from a bigger family and you know how to prepare for, for something, but can you imagine trying to figure out how much food would be necessary to feed 10 to 20,000 people? When we were living in Texas, I went over to my uh, cousin's house one time. She has seven kids and, and uh, they've fixed chicken fajitas. And I just remember watching how many chickens they had to cut up. I mean, a whole family of birds died to create that meal, and they're cutting this chicken in strips and pieces so that we would have something to eat. And I remember thinking, I've never seen that much food this side of a restaurant, and it was all for one family. And yet even that family, even my cousin, can you imagine trying to, given the task of feeding 10 to 20,000 people when their cash had run dry and all they had was a couple of fish and five loaves? I mean... The disciples looked and they said, we have some paltry provisions in the face of this. It's nice of you to invite us to be a part of this, Jesus, but I'm not sure where this is headed. We simply don't have the goods. Now, I think it's helpful for us to maybe put this in a context that would help us to understand a little more about what this is like. And so, you know, I I mentioned earlier, there were somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people uh, would have been present that day to hear Jesus preach. And so what, what is some place in our town that holds about that many people? And so let's go on the low end and let's pick the Lloyd Noble Center. Lloyd Noble Center holds like 11,200 on a good day. I'm thinking about like, you know, the, the Kansas game, the OSU game, or the Texas game, right? One of those three games, there's 11,200 people in the stands. And there you are, you're standing down courtside. And Coach Lon Kruger turns to you and says, you know what, the game is going into overtime, and everybody up there is hungry. I want you to give them something to eat. And you hear this, and you reach in your pocket, and all you've got is a $20 bill. And you know, this is concession prices. That's like one bottle of water. And you're thinking, I don't have enough money, Coach, to buy food for all of those people. But then you remember, well, I did come here with, with a snack. Um, I, I knew that I might need this today. And so maybe you, you stopped at McDonald's with your family on the way there, and uh, you got some filet fish sandwiches, um, five of them. And, you know, your family got a little hungry on the way in, and maybe three of those five fish patties were eaten. So you still have the five buns and two little fish patties. And that you look in your bag, and so you've got five buns and two fish patties, and coach says, I want you to give them something to eat. Folks, that is the picture of some paltry provisions, and that's what the disciples felt. And here's the deal. You have probably felt that way too. There's probably been a time in your life as you have followed Christ where you have felt like you have paltry provisions in the face of what God was calling you to do. You probably felt that way. You probably uh, filled out some kind of a form or a card, and somebody followed up with you, and you walked into a a Sunday school class to lead, or you walked into the nursery to, to rock that baby, and you walked in there, and that baby is freaking out, and you don't know what to do, and you realize that you are in a two fish and five loaves situation, and you've got an hour and five minutes to kill if the preacher doesn't go long, and you are nervous, all right? Uh, Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe you've been in that conversation where things begin to turn to spiritual things and somebody asks that question that you don't know how to answer and you're like, I don't know how to answer what they're saying. I don't know how to deal with what they're they're dealing with and you're in a two fish and five loaves 
situation, or you're in that mentoring relationship, you're in that mentoring situation, and there's just so much dysfunction going on in that family or that, that kid's life, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know what to do, and you're in a two fish and five loaves situation. Have you ever been in one of those spots? You know, if you've served Christ for any period of time, you, you, you will have been there. And you know what? If we're honest, we're always there. For everything that Christ asks us to do, it always requires more than we've got. We have paltry provisions for that. I mean, think about this. If you were to call someone who doesn't know Christ to believe in him, you're you're asking, the Bible would say, somebody to be resurrected from the dead in their spiritual life, to go from dead to life. That is something that goes beyond your abilities. You're simply not that persuasive. If you were to open up God's Word and help explain it to somebody in a Sunday school class or in a a Bible study, it just goes beyond what you're capable of in your own abilities in order to make all of that make sense to them. You're in a two fish and five loaves situation. Uh, If you walk into a situation and someone is discouraged, there's a death, there's a disease, there's a divorce, there's whatever going on, and you want to offer some encouragement and you don't know exactly what to say or what to do, you're in a, a two fish and five loaves situation. How can you actually encourage someone in the face of such difficulty? You're in a two fish and five loaves situation. You see, the reality is the things that God has called us to do, we have paltry provisions in and of ourselves in order to accomplish. But here's the thing. Jesus knew that. Jesus took the disciples to the remote place on purpose. Jesus told them to give them something to eat, knowing full well they didn't have the resources to do it. Why? Because Jesus wanted to teach them something that he wants to teach us today. And that is that if we trust him, if we depend upon him, that he can do through us what would otherwise be impossible. And it happens when we are in a dynamically dependent relationship with him. Now, what do I mean by a dynamically dependent relationship. Well, Jesus comes to the disciples. He says, well, what do you got? And they said, we got the two fish. We've got the five loaves. And Jesus takes them, and he, he looks up to heaven, and he, he blesses them. He thanks God for these resources that look woefully short to human eyes. But Jesus says, this is going to be enough in my hands to do what the disciples would not be able to do on their own. And, and upon blessing it, Jesus gives it to his disciples, and he, he has them go and serve the crowd that had gathered. Now, let's put this in a, back in our illustration. So, imagine you're back at, at Lloyd Noble Center, and let's say that you're down there on the floor, and there were 12 disciples, so we need 12 volunteers. We've got three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and one. We almost got it on the first three rows, one person on the, on the third row. And so this is our 12. And this 12 has been tasked to feed 11,000 people with five buns and a couple of fish patties. Now, imagine Jesus coming to them and giving their box blessing it, and they take it, and they go, and they begin to feed section 101, row 1. 
and they feed that whole row with their provisions. And then after they feed that row, they need to come back to Jesus, who is on the floor of the arena. And they come back thinking what? Well, that was fun. Now he'll realize what we already knew, that there wasn't enough. But they get back, and Jesus gives them some more. And they go, and they feed section 101, row 2. And after they feed that row, they come back again, and Jesus gives them. How many trips back and forth do you think the disciples had to take to feed 11,000 people? Many, many trips, an, an exhausting exercise, all the while thinking, surely the food is exhausted now, and yet Jesus always provided enough. What was the point of this miracle? I don't think it was just so that 5,000 men some women and children would have enough to eat on one night. I think it was all about Jesus teaching the disciples a pattern for their lives and ministry. And that pattern is this. Jesus wanted them to know that everything they would ever give to them, they would always get from him. They would come to him, they would get the resources they need, and then they would go back and they would serve others. And this was a pattern that would extend far beyond just some food, but it's something that they would do in every part of their ministry, whether they were involved in, in teaching or encouraging or rebuking. They had to go to Christ to get the goods so that they could go back and deliver them to the people around them. And it was this dynamic dependence of their action, all the while depending upon Jesus to give them what they needed that proved to be the pattern for the disciples' ministry that allowed them to see God do through them what would otherwise have been impossible. And here's the amazing thing. As that happened, you know what happened when they came back? There were 12 baskets left. How many disciples were there? They all got their own leftovers. Just to remind them that there's always enough in the power of God to do the things that he's called us to do. You know, in, in, in life... You and I have been called to do things that are impossible for us. We find ourselves in ministry in, in two fish and five loaves situations all the time. And what does God want us to do in the midst of that? But he wants us to dynamically depend on him. We want instead of us just throwing up a stop sign and saying, you know what, God, you can't because I feel. You can't work in this situation because I feel like it's impossible. You can't change this person's heart because they have told me five times already that they're not interested. You, you can't use me to, to teach this because that class can't be taught. You can't use me to encourage because that person seems so discouraged there's no hope. See, we want to throw up stop sign after stop sign after stop sign, but we need to remember that God can do through you more than you can do on your own. Even though our resources are paltry, our provisions are paltry, God wants to work through you to do beyond what you can do. But here's the thing. It happens as we are dynamically dependent upon him. And our dependence upon Christ in ministry is something that we show forth uh, really, really best, I believe, as we, we live out our lives in a sense of prayer and dependence upon him. You know, we have a temptation in ministry or in service, if we've ever done something before, to rely on our own strength. 
know, if you've taught that class, if you've taught that passage, if you've shared this verse with somebody who's going through a loss of a loved one or, or a divorce or whatever, if you've done these things before, it's easy just to transition to experience or our paltry provisions to be what we need to get us through a situation. But here's the, here's the reality. In order for God to really do what he wants to do, we need to remain dynamically dependent upon him. And one of the ways we show that is we always go to the Lord in prayer. We say, God, I need you to do in this situation beyond what I can do on my own. And when we express that dependence to him, we, are, we, we get from him the resources that we need to follow him and to serve him and to see his fruit come forth in the situations of life. See, he invites us to be involved. And even though our provisions are paltry, dynamically dependent lives, dynamically dependent disciples can see him do his work in our situation. Now, I know many of you in this room, this is one of the things I love about Wildwood. We are a, a church that serves, and so many of you serve in, in different ways. And, and not only do you serve here, but you serve in our community, and you're involved in your family, and you're sharing your faith, and that is fantastic. But if, if you are here today, and, 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 and you are already participating in these things, be, be encouraged by this message to continue to be dependent upon Christ. But if you're here, and you're looking for a place to get started, you would love to begin to connect your life and serving and, and, and pouring out to others in a situation that might seem a little beyond you right now, but you'd love to see God work through you in those ways. One of the ways you can get involved is by taking that little flyer that I referenced earlier that says serve at the top and just fill that out today. And then here in just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song. And if you would like for us to follow up with you on any of those opportunities, you're not committing your life away, but you just like some more opportunities know some more about those opportunities, pass them to the center aisle, and our ushers will walk down the middle, and they'll pick those up here at the, the end of the service. Um, but uh, let, me, let me pray. Father, we just uh, thank you so much that we can be dependent upon you, uh, that we can see you do great things in our city, in our lives, that you can do beyond what we're able to do on our own as we live our lives in dependence upon you. Father, we... Uh, are thankful that you have invited us to be involved in your ministry. And Father, I pray that you would use uh, this church, this body, this, this congregation of people, that you would use us to be your hands and feet, your voice to, to proclaim the good news and to love people well so that they would come to know Christ as their Savior and that they might be encouraged by his truth in the midst of crisis. We thank you and we pray these things.